Take your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you will. Now, gentlemen, all the fathers have a special dessert on the information desk. So as you leave the auditorium, go by there, and we have a Father's Day dessert on us. And there's probably about six different desserts to choose from. Uh, I just told them, put one away for, uh, for me. Uh, I said one of each kind. No, I, I didn't. I didn't say that, but I can't. But anyway, they all look good. It's, it's, I think of that about that verse that says, uh, uh, decisions, decisions, in the valley of decisions. And I'm looking at all those desserts, and I've got to see that multitude, multitudes, I believe it is, in the valley of decisions. And so, a lot of good stuff. We are con- continuing here in First Thessalonians chapter 5. We're coming to the conclusion in just a few weeks away where the Apostle Paul is summing everything up. He's talked about the blessed hope of one day Jesus Christ coming for us, and that's going to be a wonderful thing. He's given us challenges throughout the book. We come to chapter 5, and in these verses, verses 9 through 13, he's going to tell us about our blessing and behavior. In the first three verses, 9, 10, and 11, he's going to talk about our blessing. And in these verses, he is going to tell us how strongly, how strongly God intends for every single person who places faith in him to go to heaven. God has made it so that when you place faith in Christ, He settles your salvation. Now, we're going to see that, and you can see it as we read in English, but when you look in the Greek language, you're going to see it much more stronger than it's portrayed in only English words. Because the Greek language is a very precise language And is well able to do that. That's why God chose that language to have the New Testament written in. And we're going to see the blessings of our finished salvation. But secondly, we're going to see our behavior. And we're only going to look at two verses then. And we're going to see our behavior, especially as it has to do with spiritual leaders in the church. And that would be pastors and assistant pastors of any local New Testament church. What's our behavior toward them? The Word of God is very specific. And I want us to see what the Word of God says. We're not trying to say what, what, a, what does a pastor want done, but what does God's Word say? And that's all that's important for a believer. It's what does the Word of God teach? We're going to start by reading verses 9 through 13. If you found that passage, could you stand together with me as I read and you follow along? I am going to do my best to go through this passage of Scripture. I have a lot to share this morning and hopefully give some spiritual insight into the text. And then the application, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit of God to do in each and every one of our lives. Let's start reading verse 9. For God hath not appointed us 
to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, and then you may be seated. Father, thank you so much for this time we have to assemble, and we've enjoyed singing your praises. What a joy to listen to the men sing out, and to the choir, and the ensemble. And Lord, I thank you for the good news about the teenagers, how you used each and every one of them yesterday. And Lord, our prayer is that our very lives could be thus used by you as well to lead others to a saving knowledge of Christ. But Father, I pray the Holy Spirit of God will take the Word of God and do His work in all of our hearts and help us to yield to the Holy Spirit of God and let the Word of God find a home in our heart today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, and you may be seated. So in this passage, we have the believer's blessing in verses 9, 10, and 11. And there's two words I want us to see as we look at verse 9. It says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to see that word appointed and then that word obtain. And I want us to dive a little deeper and see what does that actually mean in the Greek language. We know what it means in English, but what does it mean? What is the full picture of that verse? The Bible is telling us that God has not appointed us to wrath, but he has appointed us to obtain salvation. Now, if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, and you looked it up in Strong's Greek Concordance, you would see what's up on the picture there. Or if you looked under the King James Version app and then added the Strong's Concordance number system with it, that's what you would have, uh, and that's what you'd see on your phone or your laptop or your computer. In other words, for every English word, there is a number that follows it, and the G is for Greek, and then it will have a number, and we're looking specifically in this about the phrase of obtain, and that is G4047. Now, that number corresponds to the Greek word peripolesis. Peripolesis. Now, that is written in, um, in, in phonics, and so that's not how it's spelled. You couldn't read Greek, but that's pronounced in an English phonetical way of that Greek word. And what it means is acquisition, to acquire something, the act of the thing, by extension, preservation, preserves it, obtain, 
You don't just get it, but you keep it. That's a good thing to know about salvation, right? You don't just get it, but you keep it. Preservation, obtain. Peculiar, purchased possession. Purchased possession, saving. All of those are different words that are translated from this one Greek word. Now, it goes on to say, and that's by Strong's Greek Concordance. It's a concordance about four inches thick. It used to be, as a pastor studied, he had to use books all across this table and had to look up those, all of his books, and go through to find out the meaning of particular words. Now, praise God, everything's on a phone, on a laptop, on a computer. Makes it so much easier. Robertson's word pictures goes into this same word. A.T. Robertson was a famous Greek teacher, and he wrote a book called Robertson's Word Pictures. And he particularly chose Greek words that had a, a uh, more picturesque definition, and this was one of them. He says the difficult word here is peripolison, which may be passive, God's possession, as it is in 1 Peter 2, 9, or active, as in obtaining, as in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. The latter is probably the idea here. We are to keep awake so as to fulfill God's purposes, ethu, and then appoint it is the word is a second aorist middle indicative of tithe may. And it's important that in that delineation, as you're describing that Greek word, it has aorist. And that lets you know what tense it is. In English, we have three tenses, past, present, future. Uh, in Greek, you have six tenses. And so it's much more precise. The aorist tense is something that has happened in the past that forever changes the future. That was your salvation, friend. Something that happened in the past that forever changes your future. No wonder Paul said, comfort yourselves with these words. Amen? That's a good thing to know. That when you trust that Christ is your Savior, God settled your eternal future. And that's good news. Because if you're an average Christian, there's many, many times where you think to yourselves, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. How could I go to heaven? Man, I just blew it this last week. What makes me think I'm going to get to heaven? And the reason you feel that way is because that's who you are. And that's who all of us are. Remember the Bible says, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved us when we had our back to him. Christ loves us when we have our face toward him and we're still imperfect. Remember as we went through the book of Romans, we realized that the book of Romans was not written to create in us personal righteousness. 
Though all the word of God should have an effort on that. But the book of Romans was to reveal that we have the righteousness of Christ accounted to us because we placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. So it's not about how good we are. If you're expecting that to happen, you're never making it to heaven on your goodness. Romans 3 says, There is none good, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So nobody's made it. We've all fallen short. Getting saved doesn't mean that God transforms you into perfection. What it means is he has placed in heaven an account and on your name is the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. That's how you make it to heaven. He places the Holy Spirit of God in you and the Holy Spirit starts knocking off the rough edges and conforming us into an image of the Lord Jesus Christ, which, by the way, he is never finished until we stand in Christ's presence, complete in him. And that's the only time we're complete in him is when we stand in his presence and all sin is eradicated from us forever for eternity. Praise God for that. So what I want us to see here is the Apostle Paul is speaking to these Christians at Thessalonica and assuring them of their salvation. This particular word that means to obtain is used five different times in Scripture. I want to share them with you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14 which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And that phrase, purchased possession, is the translation of that same word translated obtain, unto the praise of his glory. You and I are God's purchased possession. When I place faith in Jesus Christ as a nine-year-old boy, I did not stay the possession of Mike Mutchler. I belong to God. He bought me. He purchased me. We are bought with a price. I belong to Jesus. So I am his purchased possession. I want us to see this. We're his purchased possession. Now, if I have a purchased possession, anyone stronger than me could potentially get it away from me if they wanted it, right? I mean, you don't have to be even stronger than me. Even even a young little teenage girl could carry a bat, and I'm looking this way, and she bangs me on the head. (laughs) And there goes my purchased possession. It's out of my hands. But you and I are God's purchased possession. And no one's stronger than God. And no one is going to pull us out of His hands. We are His. Even we can't get out. We are His. He bought us. He obtained us. And He has appointed us not to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Purchase possession. Secondly, 
1 Thessalonians 5, 9, the verse we read. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. 1 Peter 2.9 But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar, and that's the same Greek word, peculiar people. I always thought, that meant as Christians were odd. <coughs> and that was reinforced because I had met a lot of odd Christians. <laughs> I might be one of them, I don't know. But, but he didn't save us to be odd. <laughs> he saved us to be very peculiar, and that means special. That means his. We are his possession. We are his people. By faith in Christ, we became His. Peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So to summarize what that verse is meaning in verse 9, it says, God has not appointed. That word appointed is in the aorist tense, which means it's something that happened in the past that forever changes the future. That moment you placed faith in Jesus Christ forever changed your future eternity forever and ever and ever. He has appointed us. God's already done that. The very moment you trusted Christ, He appointed you. Not unto wrath, not unto hell, but to obtain salvation. You are going to heaven, not because of your goodness, but because of His grace in saving your soul when you agreed to accept Christ as your personal Savior. By faith. You placed your faith in Him. And God says, I've settled your salvation because of that. You say, well, yeah, but I've not been that good a Christian. I understand that. And I don't know many Christians who have been that good of Christians. We fail, if not externally, we fail in our thinking sometimes, our emotions, how we feel about someone. Someone cuts us off in the... Uh, uh, in traffic, and we think, praise Jesus, thank you, God, for that. <laughs> you know, we, we tend to think these holy thoughts. <laughs> Lord, I'd like them to go to heaven <laughs> right now, right now. <laughs> Take them. <laughs> I mean, you know, these holy thoughts. Um, I, I'm just saying, we will never arrive, but that's okay. Now, let me, let me just stop right here. This is, 
I, I know time is a big thing here on Sunday morning, but let me just stop right here and, and just say why, why it's so important to embrace that struggle, to embrace your humanity. Because if we did not embrace that and know that about us, how could we ever relate to a lost world if we forget what we've been and we forget who we are? Keep in mind as a Christian, I have a depraved nature, but I also have the nature of God living in me. I have two natures. One nature allows me to fellowship with God, and one nature remembers I am flesh, and so I can identify. See, I can identify with a drug addict having never taken drugs. I can identify with an alcoholic having never drunk, because I know what sin is. I don't have to know what kind of sin they have. I know what sin is. And because of that, we can care. We can, we can uh, show compassion. We can tell them what Jesus can do. I'm not saying he'll take all your sin away. I'm saying he will give the righteousness of Christ on your account so that in heaven, not one of your sins is in heaven, but all the righteousness of Jesus Christ is there. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin past, present, and future. And so with great compassion, we can say to a sinner, I know it's hard in life. I know all about that. But let me tell you, there's someone named Jesus, and he loved you so much. He died on the cross, and he bore all your sins, and he went to Calvary, and he was buried, and he rose from the dead. And he stands on the right hand of the Father, sits on the right hand of the Father, and he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And if you'll place your faith in Jesus Christ, he will forgive you of all of your sins, past, present, and future. And you will be his forever. His peculiar treasure forever. What a wonderful blessing. The Bible goes and tells us Christ's death for us means that we shall live forever with him. Whether we're dead, or, or the Bible says awake, which means alive, or sleep, which means to die. Whether we're alive or whether we're dead, we're with Jesus. And so as a believer, it doesn't matter if I'm alive when he comes back or if I'm dead before. It don't matter to me. I'm going to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. His death secured us living with him forever. Because of the blessing of the settled salvation, and keep in mind it's not settled because of us, it's settled by God, we should comfort each other and edify one another as this church, the church of Thessalonica, was already known to do. Now that word comfort means to call near to invite, to invoke, to console, to comfort, to call for, to entreat, to pray. It means all of those things, comfort. But I love that phrase, to call near. You, you want to comfort someone. You, you want to get close to them so, so that you can give them a hug and let them cry on your shoulder. You, you can put an arm around their shoulder and say, brother, I 
I care for you. I know you're going through a tough time. I want you to know I pray for you. I believe in you. I care for you. And the Bible says we're to comfort one another with these words. And then it says we're to edify. And that's the even more interesting word. The word edify literally means be a contractor. It means to build up, to construct. You and I are in the construction business. Every time we meet a Christian, our job is to help build them up more. That's our job, build them up. We're not in the demolition business. Unfortunately, I've met Christians who thought they were, but we are not. We're in the construction business, building each other up in the faith, not tearing each other down. Christ's death for us meant that we could comfort and edify one another. In this world, you're going to have heartache, but be of good cheer. There's comfort. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, uh, 21, verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Listen, I, I, I know. I know that in this life you can be betrayed. I know in this life you could be stabbed in the back. I, I know you could be grieving over things that have happened, heartbroken. I understand that. But I'm telling you, there's going to be a time where God wipes all the tears from our eyes and there's no more sorrow, pain of divorce, separation, betrayal, heartache. So many painful things in life. But comfort one another with the fact that there's going to be a day where God wipes all those tears away. Never to come back again for all eternity. Heartache. Troubles. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Isaiah 41 verse 13 says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Powerful verse. John 16 33 says, These things have I spoken in you that believe that ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. Listen, you're going to have heartache. But Jesus, he's going to take care of it. You can have the death of a, a believer. But the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 that we sorrow not as those who have no hope. You're going to have to deal with our own death, your own death. But Psalms 23, verse 4 still says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God's not going to leave you alone in that dark shadow. He's going to guide you through death. 
to a glorious awakening in heaven forever. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, verse 12, For the which cause I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know if I die, I'm in the hands of Jesus, just as in life, I'm in the hands of Jesus. I belong to him, and he belongs to me. And so Paul is saying, comfort one another with these words. Courage, believers, going through a hard time. Hey, it's going to get better by and by, because you'll be with Jesus, and so will we. In verses 12 and 13, he talks about the behavior of spiritual leaders of the church. He says, and, I be, and we beseech you, brethren, in verse 12, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Their labor is found in feeding the flock of Christ through the Word of God. Many years ago, as a young pastor, I started Grandview when I was 29. And it took us nine years to get on this property and build our first building. And in those early days, for about a dozen years after we got on this property... uh, I preached Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And then about our third year into our first building, we had an 8.30 service and 11 o'clock service. So I preached and then taught and then taught Sunday, uh, preached Sunday night, then preached Wednesday night, and then preached to the chapel for the teenagers, uh, for our school, I should say. And then I uh, preached to our staff and had staff devotions. Then I preached a men's prayer breakfast and had a devotion on Saturdays. I had to come up with eight sermons every single week for over a dozen years. Let me tell you, I was reading a lot of Bible, but constantly. In addition to that, not only was I speaking that, but I wrote all the Sunday school lessons for all the elementary and all the teenage and adult lessons. Everything that your teacher teaches, I at one time wrote all the lessons for everyone in Sunday school. Now our teachers, praise God, find their own stuff to teach, so that makes it so much nicer. I was busy. Now I preach less. All of our preachers preach a little less, although we're preaching far more as far as times. But because individually we preach less, what it means is we can go a little deeper. So I don't study less. I just study deeper. Instead of having to study and then write something, study and write something, study and write something. I'm saying that a pastor, an assistant pastor, has to labor in the Word. And the Bible tells us that. 1 Peter 5, 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not of constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. 
Acts 20, 28. Take heed thereto unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. They are over you in the Lord, not over you in life, but over you in the context of a local New Testament church, and they are to admonish you. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey them which have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, for they do that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now you say, well, what does that mean? I don't know all that it means, but I do know that that phrase unprofitable doesn't sound very good. Second Timothy chapter, two, ver- chapter 4 verse 2 says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Amen. That's the job of the pastor. May I say, when you have an opportunity, and I don't say that for myself, because as you know, uh, this September will be my 38th year as the pastor of this great church, and, uh, and I will no longer be the pastor. And I'm praying, uh, Justin Lehman will, he's got my vote, I believe in him, he's a godly man, he's a man of vision. It's going to propel us even to greater heights. I'm excited about that. But when you have an opportunity to be a blessing to a man of God, take advantage of it. Our pastors, our assistant pastors, you be a blessing to them. Let me just say, they carry a load you have no idea about. They carry a load... There's no way you could comprehend. The Apostle Paul talked about that and he said, and I carry in myself not not all these trials, physical things I've been through. He says, but beside all that, the care of all these churches, how he did that, I don't know. Only God helped him through that. The Bible says we are to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Esteem them very highly in love. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elder that ruleth well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in word and doctrine. Strong's Concordance again uses that word honor, timei, means a value, that is, money paid, or concretely, the collectively valuables by analogy esteem, especially of the highest degree, or the dignity itself, honor, precious, price, sum. All those are different ways it's translated, 42 different times mentioned in Scripture. Let me say that the next pastor will be a younger man. I was 29 when I 
started Grandview Baptist Church. It took us nine years to get on this property. I was already 38 years of age at that time. Brother Justin's 35. He's a young man. Going to do a good job. Let me say, the Bible says, esteem them very highly, not for their works, not because of what they've accomplished, but for their work's sake, for who they're working for. They're working for Jesus. And we esteem pastors highly, not because of what they deserve, but because of whom they serve. They serve Jesus. They are called specifically by God to serve God in the agency of the local New Testament church. It's a God-called position. It's not a man-called thing. God puts them there. And we're to honor God's choosing. And when I am not the pastor of this great church, I'm going to be the best member this church has ever had. I'm going to be my pastor's number one supporter. I'm going to be pulling for him all the way. And I'm going to esteem him very highly for the position God's called him to. And I hope every one of you will join me in that because this is a tough time in our world and if we're going to go forward as a church, we at least have to know, let our pastor know, brother, we're behind you. We're behind you. We're here to help you. We're here to be a blessing to you. And that takes a big weight off his mind so he can serve God with a full heart. And let me just encourage you, that's exactly what the Word of God is telling us here. That phrase, highly in love, is from a Greek word that means superabundant in quantity and superior in quality. By implication, it means excessive. It is translated exceedingly, abundantly, above, more abundantly, advantage, exceedingly, very high, beyond measure, more, superfluous, venomously. It's translated ten different ways in the Greek New Testament. All of it means overabundance. And that's how we're to esteem them very highly. I don't say that for myself. I've always been treated kindly. I say that for those who follow. I say that for our staff who serve. If you can be a blessing to them, be a blessing to them. You don't have to ask permission. Just do it. Be a blessing. And then finally it says, and we can help our church leaders by being at peace among ourselves. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. Listen, sometimes if a pastor, uh, sometimes a pastor has a season in ministry where it seems like all his job is putting out little fires. He thinks he's in Oregon during fire season. 
stomp that, stomp that fire out, stomp that fire out. Listen, the pastor shouldn't go around saying, putting out little fires, putting out little fires, where one member's against another, one's, one ministry is trouble with another ministry, somebody's trying to second guess this or that. Listen, just be at peace among yourselves. Do what God's called you to do and let someone else do what God's called them to do. These little fires, it's not because we're doing our business. These little fires come up when we're looking at somebody else's business. Well, I don't like the way you're doing that. Well, well, do what you're doing and let God work with that guy. Put out little fires. No, let's, let's let him study the word. Let's, let, let's let, let him get up and preach with a full heart, having been with God and in the Word, not, not having put out little fires and then get up and preach about the peace of God on Sunday morning. <laughs> it makes it hard. I've not had to do a lot of that all these years in Grandview Baptist Church, but I wouldn't want an ex-pastor to have to do that either. Let's be at peace among ourselves. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. By God's grace, that's what we've been all these years. Let's keep doing that. The Bible says we're to comfort one another with these words. Are you doing that? Are we encouraging each other? Are we edifying? Are we building up each other? Let me ask you this. Have you given your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ? If you've not... If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, listen, not only is heaven reserved for believers, but hell is reserved for the devil and his fallen angels. And all unbelievers shall have their part in the lake of fire that burneth forever and ever. It's not a pleasant ending for eternity. But Jesus died and took your sin debt on himself that you didn't have to go to hell. That you, by faith, could go to heaven if you just trust him as your personal Savior. If you just realize that what he did, he did for you. And and you yield your life to him and say, Lord, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. And I accept you by faith. And I believe in you. And just like that, you are appointed not unto wrath, but to obtain salvation and go to heaven forever because of your faith in Christ. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And if you're here this morning or watching online and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, have you come to that place where you realize your best effort isn't cutting it? You're you're not able to find peace going your own path. But are you willing to reach out and say, Jesus, I ask you to save me. Forgive me. I accept you as my Savior. Place my faith in you. I believe that what you did, you did for me. Please take me to heaven when I die. 
Oh, if you prayed that prayer in the privacy of your own heart, I'm telling you, you're just as saved as Billy Graham ever was. Because we're saved by faith, simple childlike faith in Christ. We're kept by the power of God through faith. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts even during this invitation. And let us respond as you prompt us to, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand at our feet. Maybe God's speaking to your heart about making a spiritual decision, placing your membership here at Grandview Baptist Church, or following the Lord and believers' baptism, or um, rededicating your life, or professing faith in Christ. You come. And let God do something great in your heart, in your life. Others are coming, making spiritual decisions. How about you? Some to be baptized this morning. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. We had Brian Kim come this morning. He has placed faith in Christ several months ago. And this morning he's following the Lord in believer's baptism. Praise God for that. This is also uh, Brian's last uh, day with us, our service. He'll be here Wednesday night. Then on Thursday he goes back to see his parents in Korea, and then he flies back this fall to go to school uh, to be trained to be a pilot in uh, a very prestigious school in uh, Florida that trains um, pilots for, you know, the big jets and everything, so he'll be doing that. It's very hard to get in that, but we'll have two of our young men in that school. And then Marvin Tucker has come to follow the Lord in believer's baptism as well. Marvin came a few weeks ago to be voted in as a member and then only to realize that he had been baptized but not scripturally baptized, which is by immersion after salvation. And so getting sprinkled on the head is not Christian baptism according to the definition. It is to be fully immersed after salvation. It's because you are representing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what baptism is. So it's a believer stating that I believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I believe that, not the baptism, but what Jesus did is what purchased my salvation. So it's making a statement about what you believe on the inside. And Jesus told every believer to be baptized because if you have Jesus in your heart, you should be willing to stand for his death, his burial, and resurrection because that's how you became a believer, is trusting him. So uh, 
we will have these follow the Lord in baptism. And upon their baptism, could I have a uh, amen that we accept Brian Kim and Marvin Tucker into the membership of Grandview Baptist Church? All say? Amen. amen. Thank you very much. Well, praise the Lord for that. Well, we're going to watch this next video, and then we'll watch them follow the Lord in baptism. Then we'll dismiss, and then, gentlemen, go by the information desk, and there's all sorts of desserts out there, and pick one of those for Father's Day desserts. God bless you fathers. We need more godly fathers in this land. Amen. Let's watch this. Happy Father's Day and welcome to our service. We hope this morning's sermon for Pastor Mutchler was a blessing to you. Join us back here tonight at 5 as we hear Pastor Mutchler continue our verse-by-verse series on the book of Nehemiah. Mark your calendars for our church-wide outreach Saturday, July 2nd at 10.15 a.m. Join us for a delicious breakfast and an opportunity to share your faith in our community. Don't miss out this summer. Sign up for our email and text message updates by going to our website, grandviewcares.com forward slash connect. Make plans to join us for God and Country Day on Sunday, July 3rd. We will have patriotic services with special music at 8.30 and 11 a.m. There will also be a picnic at Rivercrest Park in Oregon City from 5 to 8 p.m. Please help us in bringing plenty of side dishes and desserts. Men's softball is just around the corner. The fee is $40 per person, and it should be paid before the first game on July 9th. Your payment can be made online, in the bookstore, or by designating softball on your giving envelope. For questions, please see me, Paul Potter, after the service. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out a Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you, and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon, and we'll see you tonight at 5. a blessing. Thank you so much for being here this morning. God bless you. You are dismissed. Mm-hmm.